Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. 1 Samuel 17, um, verses 12 through 20. Um, I want to read those verses first until you're hearing. If you have your Bibles, please follow it. If not, it's definitely on the screen for those who are in person. All right, it's 1 Samuel 17, verse 12 says, And now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for, for an old man in the days of Saul. And three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Elab, the firstborn, and the next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shemaiah. And David was the youngest, and the three, it was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. That's a key verse. At Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presenting himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David, uh, said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren the ephah of, of this parched corn, these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went. And as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench, and as the host was going forth to the battle and, shout, and shouted for the battle. Our scripture reading so far. I want to teach and preach from the message, a church strategy to break curses, build legacy, and slay giants. I'm building on a theme this year that God has called us to move through changes of progress. God is interested in you and I doing more than our forefathers. We are not to spend our, day, our days in the misery of the pits. If we didn't have good role models, if we did not see a good image of what we could be, God doesn't want us to spend our time and our years complaining about what we did not have. Rather, God wants us to find a good example, a good model, and get busy concerning what we can be and what we can become. And so God is trying to teach us how to be better than the next generation again, and yet honor them for what they have done. That's why we get the focus of breaking curses, building legacy, and then slaying giants. As we start our journey today, as I've read these scriptures, I really want to point out that you are chosen to face Goliath. That was my focus on last week. The same verses I read, but I focused on facing Goliath. That's the big giant in your life that keeps tormenting you, taunting you, and saying you're never going to be what you're called to be. And somewhere in your life, if you're going to get over it and grow, you got to face your giant. Say face your giant. You got the face was standing in your way and tell that thing, I'm going to defeat you. I'm not going to allow you to defeat me. And this giant could be in any area of your life. 
It could be in your way you think about things. It could be in the way your emotions react to things. It could be in your health. It can be in your career. It can be in the way you build and speak about family. Whatever it may be, you have a giant just like I have a giant, but we're going to defeat our giants. Amen? I want to focus on verse 15 here as I get to show you what it's like to have a church strategy that helps people grow and move to the place of God. Verse 15 says, but when David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at, but David went and returned from Saul, excuse me, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So what happens, it, uh, David, his brothers are already in the war fighting Goliath, but David is already in the camp of Saul the king. So David is already acquainted with the king Saul. And so Saul already has some level of relationship uh, with David at this time. Why? Because David in chapter 16 was anointed to be king. And this is very important to understand. David was anointed to be king in the previous chapter. Uh, God had sent Samuel uh, to Jesse's house. That's David's father. And he said to Jesse, he said, hey, look, Jesse, God told me to come to your house because the next king is in your house. Jesse says, okay, let's get ready for worship. Let's get the ceremony ready uh, so you can anoint the next king. He has eight sons. And so Jesse calls all his sons out to find out which one of them is going to be the king. But he calls everyone out except David. And so as Samuel the prophet begins to try to pick who out of the eight is the next king, he comes upon the first son and time he looks at him, he said, I got, that's the king. He said, I know that's the king. He's tall. He looks strong. He looks mighty. And God speaks to Samuel the prophet and says, prophet, he says, Samuel, do you do not look at the outside appearance because God looks at the heart. And so he warns him that my anointing may not be on people who look good. Because what I'm looking for somebody who has the heart to do what I want to do. To follow my instructions. He says, I'm warning you don't pick according to appearance because I judge differently, God is saying to Samuel. I don't look like men and women do. They pick everything based on a face. And they don't look at a heart. Come on now. That'll help you real good when you're looking for a godless spouse. Amen. Amen. I, don't, I, don't, I know we want somebody that look good when we roll over the next day. Bless the name of the Jesus. I know that we want somebody to look good because everybody told me you want, you want to determine how your kids going to look out and all these kind of stuff that people think about. You know. But I tell you at the end of the day, if that person handsome and pretty, but you can't work with them, it don't mean nothing. If that person fine as wine, but they mean that the devil it don't mean nothing you better find somebody you can work with grow with bear some fruit with and God said don't be looking all the time at that outer appearance that's not the major thing come on come on somebody cause beauty gonna fade come on some things gonna change come on now Honey, it takes it takes what to keep all this stuff together that we got hallelujah I don't know what I'm talking about the physical but it takes some work and at the end of the day when you look at somebody you walk with and talk with and build with you want somebody you connect 
acting in the spirit with. Come on, you want somebody that y'all can high five. I done got excited. Lord, help me. I done thought about my honey girl. Lord, holly. You want somebody you can win with. You want somebody you can build with. You want somebody, come on, that you can grow with. So you can't just be looking at the outside. That's how the world judges everything about the outside. But God say, I'm different. I give you somebody who connected you into, into your heart and they walk with you through the valleys of life. Come on, I'm not getting excited up in here. I didn't plan to preach like this. I done got excited. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so, if you're married, you ought to celebrate if you got a good thing. I got to go ahead and put a plug. It ain't in my notes. Uh, but I want you to know, I got to put it on record. Everybody married ain't unhappy. I got to put it on record. Everybody, every, every married ain't trying to get to the courthouse. Uh, there are some people that say, I married the person that's my soulmate. Uh, I married the person that I love, Billy. I ain't saying nothing married, folks. Y'all can say what you want to say, but I'll testify till you get excited. Oh my God. Just like Jacob, when he saw that girl at the well, he said, I worked for her 14 years. He saw Rachel at the well. Jacob in the Bible, he saw Rachel at the well. At the well. And the Bible says when Jacob saw Rachel at the well, he lifted up a screen. Woo! And that boy worked 14 years for her and didn't mind working for her. Y'all ain't saying that when you find somebody that's your rib, when you find somebody connected in your soul I'm going to preach this thing this morning when you find somebody that you know is the bone of your bone and the rib of your rib and the, like Adam said you bone of my bone and flesh of my, when you find some, so y'all boy Lord help me oh Jesus oh Jesus I almost did a benediction and went home. Y'all I done got excited. <laughs> when you find somebody. He won. I'm telling you, he won't Don't mess with it. I'm on the edge already. Don't push me now. Don't push me. Don't, 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 don't push me. Don't miss, cause I'm trying to tell you, I got to move on. You better learn to pick on purpose. I said, you better learn to pick on purpose. Ah, oh, you better learn to pick on purpose. You better learn to pick by DNA. But if you don't know who you are, then you can never choose who you should be with. But the moment you figure out who you are, then you can say, not you, not you. Not you, you. But you got to first know who you are. And when you start knowing who you are, you'll know who to connect with. Come on, you ought to praise God. Praise him so I can move on here. Please. Please. <laughs> he warns the prophet that when you're picking people, don't pick just by appearance. Because that's not God. God said, I don't do things like that. Jesse didn't even bring David out for the anointing selection. But the oil wouldn't flow from Jesse's horn, which is a ram's horn, and they put oil in it. The oil wouldn't flow. He said, this is not, you got to have another. It's, this is all you got? He said, I got one. He done run. He done run? Yeah, he done run. He out there keeping sheep. Go get them. We're not leaving until you bring them. Everybody look, all the brothers looking around like, what? We've been delayed for David? For real? David walks in and God said, yeah, that's the one. The oil starts to flow off of David's head 
and of, of the horn of the oil and it falls on David's head and he anoints David to be king. So I want you to really understand in chapter 17 when they're getting ready to fight Goliath. Listen, you got you got to still understand that David, while he's still keeping sheep, he got a king's anointing on him. Tell, tell your neighbor, don't get confused about me. Don't be confused about what's my occupation right now. The anointing on me is for another level. Don't you be confused about what I look like and I feel God ain't up here today. Don't even be confused about the money I'm making because the anointing on me gonna work, work through more than the money. I'm anointed to produce wealth. I'm anointed so don't even look at me kind of funny. I may be short and stubborn. I may be tall and thin but there's an anointing on me that makes me work this thing. So David comes to the battle to fight Goliath. He's short and stubborn but he's anointed to be king he's coming out of the out of the place of keeping sheep but there's an anointing on this man and they're looking at him like what kind of courageous confidence you got that you come to the battle to bring cheese for your brothers and sisters who's in the battle but you got the confidence of a warrior some people be looking at you and wondering how you with your GED self got that, that much confidence. Let me tell you something. I heard a story about a man with a GED that the church, the church started GED classes and the man didn't have a GED. And the pastor called him and said, sir, brother, we having GED classes. And he missed the class. The next time it came around, we having GED classes. He missed the class. He finally called the pastor and said, pastor, I'm too blessed to worry about a GED. God don't magnified my life I got too many businesses I got too many contracts I'm too blessed to go backwards there comes a time in your life and I ain't, I ain't against going to school I went to school but sometimes God will be so good to you it'll cost too much to go backwards to try to get what you once missed God can bless you so good that you got to keep up with what's before you I know what I'm talking about going back I tried to go back to school too myself up four o'clock in the morning I sent my guidance counselor an email in the middle of the morning say I'm done and I'm not talking about homework they call me on the phone and encourage me they put them success coaches on you they came with the best speech they, they had they thought I was a discouraged student I said I'm grown with a mortgage huh I'm grown with a mortgage and two kids and I was trying to go backwards. And I came to the conclusion in the middle of the night, I ain't got time to go backwards. Whatever God's gonna do with me, this is, you gotta just know that. I knew that. Now it's okay, some of y'all in school keep on going, but for some of you, you've been trying to go backwards and God said, just move forward. What I put in your hand right now, what I put before you gonna make you bless you, gonna open up the windows of heaven. I'm talking to somebody that I done lived it. I know what I'm talking about. And so they thought I was discouraged and I'm like, no, I'm full of joy because I'm going to get my sleep back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lord. But David already knows Saul. I got to get you to understand this. What happens is after he gets anointed, one of the servants of Saul says, hey, man, um, the anointing on David. So you got Saul and David. Saul is getting rebuked because he's disobedient. He's compromising. So God takes the anointing off Saul and he puts it on David. So at the moment that David gets anointing, anointed, Saul gets depressed. Saul is going, to do a, going through a depression because of disobedience. 
He's going through depression because God's not on his side. He's going through depression because he's in a position, but he don't have power to flow in it. It is torment when you're in a position, but don't have grace to make that thing work. It's torment when you're in a position and got no backing from the Lord. It's, it's torment when you're trying to do something that God said, I done deserted you. I'm not with you before. I'm not with you anymore like I was. And sometimes people take God for granted. You get all this success because God's on your side. And then you get big headed and arrogant and start doing what you want to do. And then you find out you weren't as smart as you thought you were. You weren't as skillful as you thought you were. Some of those wins you had, had had to do with God being on your side had to do with God working in the midst of your people you just thought you can write good contracts no God turned the heart of the person that was sitting before you yeah you were pretty good but God was on your side Saul forgot all of that and only came off him now is on David and now David is ministering to Saul to keep him from going into a maniac depression David is ministering to him through music and through worship so David already knows Saul. He knows him as a musician, but he doesn't know him as a warrior. Tell somebody, you about to know me differently. Let me get to verse 16. So you can understand, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and the Philistines, and, the, and presented himself 40 days. So 40 days, here comes Goliath testing and tormenting the people of God, and David steps up to the challenge. Verse 20, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep, with a keeper and took and went and Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench and the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Here it is. I want you to understand that although David has an anointing on him to be king, he understands what it is to be a shepherd. I can bear witness to that over the last couple of years. God is really ministering to me about other things I need to go on and do. But you just can't move on and neglect other things. You got to have organization. You got to have things in place. As you take on more assignments, you got to have structure in place. David understands that he has a king's anointing on him, but he just can't move to his next assignment without taking care of what he has already inherited. He has to take care of the sheep he already has, but he leaves his sheep with a keeper. Everybody say a keeper. This word keeper means to reserve, to observe, and preserve. So the keeper knows how to reserve, watch, put to the side, to observe, mean keep your eyes open, and preserve, look out for, keep in mind. This keeper knows how to keep the sheep that David ultimately is responsible for. I want to remind you of John 10, 1 through 5. John 10 says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but cometh up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now look at verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leadeth them. So now we got this word in here. We heard keeper. Now we hear the word porter. What is a porter? A porter means a person who controls the door. They're a person who's at the door, and they are not passive at the door. They are, it's power at the door. Everybody say power at the door. It means when somebody's coming in and entering in it, they have a criteria for entering in. 
all right, for entering in the door, and they make sure you're not a thief and you're not a robber, that your intents are right, so that you can come into what is called the sheepfold. So this porter is skillful in howing to open the door because the door needs to be guarded. The door needs to have people at the door who is skillful and discerning of what's happening and how to care for the sheep and protect the wrong things from coming in the sheepfold. As I studied this word porter um, even more and I looked in the Greek, I found this word called theros. Hey, that word theros, I looked it up and it led me to the word thyroid. We know the word thyroid, like the thyroid gland. So the porter works like a thyroid gland. Like the thyroid gland works in our bodies, this gland right up by the collarbone, butterfly-shaped gland, it controls um, metabolism. If your thyroid is underactive, you're going to experience weight gain cold sensitivity, fatigue. If it's overactive, you're going to lose weight quickly. You're going to sweat a lot. You're, you have a fast heartbeat or feel nervous or moody. So the thyroid must be balanced so that your body sends hormones that keep you regulated. If it's overactive or underactive, it can cause different uh, effects on the body. It's a thyroid. So this word porter means people who know how to regulate and balance off the members in a church. Jesus introduced it in John 10 that he doesn't do ministry without a porter. Without a porter, a person at the gate, a person who helps him keep sheep. A person that helps him be eyes and regulates the body, all right? And so this, this word thyros helps us understand what a porter actually does, all right? What a porter actually does. The position of a porter detects the needs, also gives feedback for resources, because as they deal with the sheep, they communicate to the shepherd. So the shepherd can understand even some more detailed needs that the sheep may have. They're very intricate and very important to the life of a church body. All right? So it helps shepherds, pastors, and elders determine what to teach and even to preach based on feedback. But let's not forget what the Bible says. These porters keep out thieves and robbers. So even the porter that's out the door, while they are composed, they are full of authority. They know how to keep out thieves and robbers. These are people who will take away from the, the goals of the body. These are mindsets and, and people who will steal from what God wants to do. We need porters even in our church. We need power at the door. We need power where people enter. We need power where people are discerning and how to navigate people through the body of the church. The worst thing that can happen when a sheep comes into a sheepfold is to be lost within the body. To come into the body and not know why they're here and where they fit and where they belong and how to navigate and who is this and who's the leaders. And so they're now in the body, but they don't know nothing about the body. They don't know how to navigate in the body. So you got to have somebody in the body to help that sheep stay connected and know that they're cared for. 
This role is absolutely necessary in the church. It's absolutely necessary to have this skill set uh, in our church. And I'm seeing, uh, even as we've grown over the years and in the, over time, I've seen how important it is to keep up with what's happening in the life of God's people. Acts 6 is my last point of verse I want to minister to. Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. It's a very intricate story, and I'm going to read the verses, and these will be my final points, and we'll pray. Acts 6, 1 through 7. And I really love Acts 6, 1 through 7. It blesses me tremendously. In those days when the number of disciples, I'm going to underline some points, catch me while I'm moving. In those days when the number of disciples were multiplied. So I want you to understand we're talking about when the church is increasing. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were not neglected in the daily ministration. So the church was growing and the widows were getting fed, right? But there seemed to, there seemed to be an imbalance. The, the Grecians' widows were getting their supply of food, but the Hebrew widows were not. What was happening in the body? Disunity. Because now you got people arguing in the body that they're not getting taken care of. You got people in the body who are murmuring and a church could never grow when there are unresolved murmurings. A church that never seeks to create a ministry. If you just can't preach over everything. Certain things are organizational that has to be handled through people and processes. You just can't preach over everything, right? So it, this wasn't a message to preach to people. This wasn't another message to say, stop murmuring. No, they had to come up with a system and a process to handle what looked like disunity. Follow me here. And then 12 apostles, the 12 apostles, called the multitude of the disciples, called the body together unto them, and said, listen to this, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men honest, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you whom ye may appoint over this business. Let me slow this thing down so you'll understand. The 12 apostles who are over the church, they say, look, this is important to us. We cannot act like disunity. Don't rob away from God's purposes. We got to do something about it. All right. He says, so look, but in doing something about it, we can't stop what we're called to do to handle all these matters. One of the challenges that churches have when churches grow is pastors, Pastor Robin and I, becoming more vulnerable and letting things go. Somebody say let go. Letting go and putting it in capable hands so that it is still done with excellence and all execution and it is handled. So the apostle said it's wrong for us to stop what we're called to do. We're called to do it. Here it is in verse 4. But, we'll, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they said, so that we can be clear-headed when we are praying and when we're preaching the word, we got to handle this. For number one, if people are murmuring in the body, we're not going to be able to focus. You can't really focus on worshiping and reading the word and praying and you got chaos in your church. You can't really focus on what God's going to teach the people if you ain't handled the matters in your church. You got things going on in the body and disputes and people don't like each other. And one person sit on this side because they don't get along with that person on that side. Y'all know I've been pastor a little bit. Y'all know I know a little bit of stuff, right? 
and people don't get along together and stuff like that or somebody wait till somebody else pass by because they don't want to see them and say nothing to them or three sisters done got into an argument and, and they didn't want to repent and reconcile to each other come on and the next thing you know five other people find out about what happened with the three sisters and because two, two of the five people who found out like one of the sisters more now now she done took sides and now, now they don't hang out no more they don't go to dinners no more they don't they don't want them fellowship no more hallelujah then we wonder why church service done got dry why because people don't like each other because the bible says one of the way people gonna know who we are is when we have love one another and the truth of the matter is the spirit of god will never come fill a church where the people don't like each other the, the, the spirit of god will never heal nobody in a church where the people don't like each other you ain't gonna see no salvations you're not gonna see no breakthroughs it's gonna all dry up because there is scandal in the body they say but we can't stop what we're called to do to handle and serve the widows so i need y'all to find people who are honest good report full of holy ghost full of wisdom Point them over this business so we can stay focused. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timion, and Perminius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And so, a little bit, I'm going to introduce you to some folks, but they got some names you can pronounce. <laughs> We're going to introduce some care team people, they got some names you can pronounce, all right? Glory to God. Verse 6, whom when they sat before the apostles, they brought this group, put them before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid hands on them. I'm going to pray for them today. And look at what happened in verse 7. And the word of God increased. So the first, the first, in verse 1, the reason they had a problem, the first problem was actually a good problem. That's why sometimes in church you can't trip out. Some of the problems we have are good problems. If we didn't have a few hundred folks, we wouldn't have no problems. If we had five people, we can all manage them. We can all call y'all every week. Pastor Robin and I ourselves won't have no problems. But sometimes growth brings new problems. So I want to first say is every church have problems, but every church don't have the same problems. And I'm working to make sure I have good problems. I'm one of them other type of problems. They have a good problem here. It's because the church was growing. So sometimes we can't just get negative about what's happening. We got to decide, is this a good problem or a bad problem? What they were presented with was a good problem. It still was a problem, still need to be handled. But in verse 7, by handling it through proper administration, putting right people into pl in place, it says the word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiply multiply in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were being to the faith that means people who were once not a part of the Christian community believers joining the Christian community people were attracted to a church that has some organization oh that's why I'm going I want you to think I'm going nowhere else a church that knew what they was doing where they was going why they was they was attracted it and they began to feel the power drawing to them and they joined and came a part of the faith of the church even the priests changed their lives so in closing I want you to understand that today spiritually and practically we're trying to solve a problem as far as I'm concerned get the memo it's a good problem this church it, in 2008, 
started with five people at my table. We were in 2022, and we got more than five people. Tell somebody that's a good problem. That's a good problem. So we're hoping to resolve a good problem by what we're going to do. We're hoping to maintain unity and fill in some gaps. One of the things we want to do with the care teams, we want to try to bring some of your successes from out of just secular world into the church. Some of you have had wonderful promotions, opportunities, been in newspapers. We want to be able to celebrate that as a church family and celebrate the greatness that God is doing in his people. Come on. We also want to be able to fill in gaps when you're going through challenging times. One of the things I'm most sensitive to, most sensitive to, is when somebody's in the valley. Now, I want to celebrate when you need to celebrate, but most times you can get somebody to celebrate with you pretty easy. But sometimes when you're going through tough times, it's tough to get some folks to, you know, to go through tough times. So we got to have a process that when people are going through tough times, whether it's hospital visits or nursing homes or family circumstances or the reason why you're not in church is because you're traveling back and forth out of town to take care of a loved one and something else has pulled your time and uh, we want to know what's going on in a way that we can serve. Not in a way of just being nosy and judgmental. No, no, it's a way that we can serve, a way that we can care. So we got to fill in caps. And also I really wanted you to understand that if these things are not resolved, it, it actually causes church hurt. Oh, church hurt is a giant that has to be slayed by the church. Church hurt. I've been surprised of the number of people who are church hurt. I for one been church hurt. But I got myself back together because I decided that nothing that happened in nobody's church. I was going to let it stop me from serving the Lord. But I want you to know that there are some people that didn't make that decision. There's some people who got church hurt, never been back to church ever again. There's some people who've been church hurt, never. They just worship God online for real. And they've been doing this way before the pandemic. They say, I ain't going in there with them folks. Them folks ain't right. Them folks don't love God. Them folks will do you all kind of way. Them folks, them folks, them folks. And they're bitter about an experience they had that was not managed properly. Right? So we got to solve this because it causes church hurt. Imagine if the Grecians and the Hebrews didn't get this situation uh, resolved. It would have been a big situation. The church would have been divided. The Grecians and the Hebrews would have been fighting against each other. And people would have felt neglected. They would say, I thought the church was love. I thought the church was unity. I thought you cared about people. So we got to prevent what I call church hurt. Of course, it's, a church hurt is also abusing and mistreating people. Those are other forms of church hurt. But even as I was studying, the Lord spoke to me and said, there's some other forms of church hurt too. And I pray we don't experience these as well. He said, it's church hurt when the church don't pray. The Lord said, that's church hurt. I said, what Lord? He said, write it down. He says, church hurt when they don't read the word and get into the word. He said, that's church hurt. Oh, that's hurt. You go to the church all the time and you malnutrition. You're just skinny. No meat on your bones. You get a half a scripture every Sunday. Nobody feeds you real good. Oh, the God said that's church hurt too. Wow. Or if you're in a church where people in positions all their life. I say all their life. You know, anybody be quiet? I ain't preaching about nothing, nobody. I'm just talking principles. Everybody got like, ooh, who in trouble today? I'm just preaching principles. I'm talking about people in positions with no fruit and no function. 
just there for life. Can't be moved, can't be changed, gonna be there, nobody can go around them, they don't do nothing, they show up only when it's daytime. If you ain't been to church and experienced that, just give God praise. Because there are some times that if you're not careful, people will block what God is doing. God said all of this causes church hurt, where people can't participate, where people can't grow, where people can't connect, where people can't be a part, where people can't give their gift, where people can't serve. I'm telling you, we got to solve all of these things in our church. As much as we are being spiritual today, we must be practical. We must be practical. We must care for people. We must connect people. We must touch people. I want you to understand how passionate I am about this today. So much so that we put it on a first Sunday. I said, forget it. I don't care about no first Sunday dressing up, putting on no ties and putting all that kind of stuff. We're going to dress down. We're going to wear some t-shirts, strike up the grill. I want to smell something outside. I want to see some people smiling. Whatever you got to do, wave at somebody. I want to see some joy. I want to see some hope. I want to see some unity. I want to see some church that's connecting together. Hear what I'm saying. So I want you to understand this is a part of a church strategy that will break curses, build legacy, and slay giants. Will you clap your hands? I'm done today. Come on, clap your hands. We hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church. Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them. You can find more information by following them on social media. Just look up Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church. And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him.